Lift your hands just for a minute and close your eyes. Father, we just want to welcome you into this place again. Uh, we haven't come to listen to the voice of man, but we've come to hear you. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be here. Lord, and we, um, as our hands are lifted, may it just be an outward posture of our uh, inner attitude towards you, of wanting to receive from you and to hear from you. And I pray, Lord God, that not a single one of us today will leave church without having had an encounter with you, without you having spoken deep into our hearts. Father, I pray that you'll use me, Lord, to say only what you want to say today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Such a great privilege to be here at Cornerstone Church. I come from the South of the River, and so um, I felt like I had to kind of, you know, get my passport and change money and all of that sort of stuff to come to the other side of our city. It's just great to be here, and I want to honor Pastor Tara and Duncan, your great leaders. You've got amazing leaders. Would you please give them a big hand? And I know how much they love you and how highly they speak of. Of, uh, of you, and uh, I've heard so much about this church, and, and I have to, to be honest with you, I was actually meant to be here in July, uh, but I had to have an emergency <laughs> surgery to get my appendix out the night of preaching here, and so uh, I, I've held you in my heart for, for some months, and I've been looking forward to coming here. Also, uh, like anything great that God has done, uh, we all need to acknowledge that we stand on someone else's shoulders, and I would also love to honor uh, Pastor Peter and Leslie Hack, who are here actually, and would you give them a big hand? and for, the, for the many, many years of, of laying a foundation and, and for us to, to move forward from here. Um, as Tara has said, my name's Ken, uh, my wife Chrissy, uh, and, and I lead a church called Nations Church, and we have two boys, uh, Jensen and Isaiah, 10 and 12, um, and uh, we bring you greetings. I, I am going to run out of time this morning if I keep talking about myself, so I don't really want to talk about myself. I want to talk about Jesus. Is that Okay. Um, if I can, just gather your um, hearts and minds around the book of Mark, chapter 2. The book of Mark, chapter 2, reading from verse 1. It's the Gospel of Mark. <clears throat> uh, it, it's, it's, it's a fascinating passage for many um, reasons, but it is a fascinating passage because of its implications for the local church, and its implications for you and I. Uh, it says here in Mark, chapter 2, verse 1. Yep, it's on the screen. Great. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. How many of you know that if the true Jesus were to be here in our city, that no one can resist Jesus? And he preached the word to them and they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. When Jesus saw their faith, verse 5, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. The reason why I think this passage has been so fascinating for me for some time is because for the longest time, I probably, like you, thought that uh, your Christian faith, my Christian faith, is an individualized faith. And we all agree that theologically, if you, that, that Jesus came for you. You've heard that. And He has. And He did. And He continues to relate to you in a very personalized and individualized manner. Jesus loves you and He knows all about your life and we relate to Him uh, uh, from a, a, a personal basis. Now, that's not an incorrect take on Scripture at all, but I would probably want to submit to you today that that is not all that our Christian faith is all about. 
as I begin to, to delve a little bit deeper into Mark chapter 2, it, it became evident to me it, through Scripture that the, 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 the gospel, where, where there is, it, it's attributed to a certain individual and it's an individualist faith. And we, you know, in the West particularly, we, we have a very personal way of relating to God and that is true and, and, and correct. But Jesus says something here that, that well, the, the gospel Mark says something here that, that's, that's quite interesting. It says that when Jesus saw their faith, he turns to the paralytic and sets him free. This morning, I want to speak on the thought, the power of your faith for other people. The power of your faith for other people. Now, Jesus is the central figure here in, in, in this passage of Scripture in, in Mark. And, uh, you know, I just want to get you to come with me to imagine yourself being uh, parachuted into this 2,000, let's go back in time, 2,000 years we're parachuting ourselves into this account here where Jesus is in a, in, in a crowded room. He's obviously packed the entire house out. Now, it was a very crowded place. There was actually no one. You know how when you go to a really crowded place and, and it's a very popular place, no one wants to give up their spot? No one wants to give up their spot. So when you're in a crowded place, everyone is e either feeling like they've earned their place as close to the front as they possibly could be or earn their place to be in that The place was bulging at the seams. There was no way for anyone to get in or out. And then Jesus, uh, uh, you know, we, we see this, this passage here in verse 5. Uh, it's a powerful theological statement because it says here, when Jesus saw their faith, he then said to the paralytic, your sons, sin, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, there, there is that whole idea of the fact that our our faith is for ourselves, but if we were to rethink and reimagine our Christian faith, the Bible actually speaks about our faith, not just in the context of you, but in the context of Christ through you. The Christ in you revelation is true, but there is also an equally relevant revelation of the Christ through us. If you're thinking today at Cornerstone Church that your Christian faith is just all about you, I want to submit to you that let's expand and straddle the broadness of what Jesus is trying to explain to us here in the Gospels. A amen? Make sense to you guys? It, it, you know, for, for me, for the longest time, I, I used to think that, that my Christian faith, the end goal for me, is just for me to be fed and grow. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not all that my Christian faith is all about. Come on, controversial statement, I know. Stay with me. Don't write emails and complain. The, the, the sense that I get for this church and the reason why I'm bringing this word today is because I, I actually feel that Cornerstone Church is actually being called by God, and I'm going to say this prophetically, to be a stretcher-carrying church. Did you, did you catch that? Uh, the sense that I get is that Cornerstone Church has been birthed by God to be a stretcher-carrying church. What I love about this account here is that Jesus said to these stretcher-carriers, I like your faith for other people, and I'm going to set him free on the account of your faith for them. And there's going to birth within this church a real heart to actually have faith that those that are far from God can actually come to him. That he's going to, he's going to, it's like an epicenter, like a heart beating of, of blood flow that starts from the leadership into the, 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 the next tier of leaders, into the, the young people and into the children, that this heartbeat that our faith 
is not just for us, but it's for those that are broken and dysfunctional and far from God and all the other labels that the world would like to place on people that you can actually have faith strong enough to believe that Jesus Christ can encounter with them like He encountered with you. See, what you need to understand about these stretcher carriers is that they are not named in the Gospels. We don't know who they are. They're not listed in the book of Hebrews, Heroes of Faith. These are nameless, faceless stretcher carriers. And the reason why I think the Gospel of Mark does not give us their names, their heritage, their background, what they look like, didn't tell us anything about them, is because I think the Gospel of Mark is actually trying to tell us who cares. Who cares? I think Cornerstone Church... It's going to have a bit of a who cares attitude. I don't want to be named. I would rather be nameless, faceless. Uh, cr- don't give me the credit. I just want to carry this stretcher and have my faith attributed to seeing someone else encounter Jesus. This is the local church that he is building in this day and in this age for our city and our nation. Australia doesn't need any more superstars. Australia just needs churches full of stretcher carriers. Can I go there this morning? So let's delve a little bit deeper. Let's have a look at these, these stretcher carriers. As I, I became so fascinated in this account that Jesus would look to them and on the back of their faith delivers this paralytic. And this is what I think really struck Jesus in this account in the book of Mark. Firstly, is this the stretcher carriers are actually not in it for their own convenience. Now, I know Tara's recently been in Israel. I've also been in Israel, done a study tour there and and uh, Israel, uh, you know, it's a hot place. Those places are not comfortable. Now, this was pre-modern convenience. So we didn't, if you can imagine, these stretcher carriers didn't have nice big ambos with climate control. Okay, they did not bring this guy in cars with leather seats and the stereo and Sunshine FM on the radio and all of those sorts of things. They literally had to walk. If you were carrying a stretcher, you, well, they tell us there were stretcher carriers, so they clearly didn't put the paralytic on, on, on a horse or, or, or a donkey. But this is what you need to understand. Sometimes, if you're going to say yes to be a stretcher carrier, you need to say no to convenience. Come on, are you out there? If you're going to say yes to be a stretcher carrier, you often need to say no to, being, to, to the convenience that, 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 that we want to reach for. Sometimes we equate our Christianity with convenience. And we feel like if, if, it's not, if it's not convenient, then it can't be God, brother. It, it can't be God. It's not wrong. It's just not in the Bible. Wanting our Christianity to be convenient is not wrong, but it's just not in the Bible. The Gospels that I read tell us that the taking of the Gospel, the Christ in us, is not necessarily convenient. See, if we're going to say yes to being a stretcher carrier, we've got to say no at times to being convenient. You know, there are times uh, in, in my church walk where, where I've really felt that, that Lord, you know, um, I, I know that you've called me to do this. I know that you've called me to journey this with you. And I know that's my purpose and that's my calling. Um, but I want to find the easiest way to do it. And then I call it innovation. I call it being, being efficient, being clever. Do you know what I mean? But sometimes God puts us through the fulfillment of our destiny and our purpose, but doesn't always give us the shortest route there. 
for some of us, we've got to make our peace to the fact that if we're going to say yes to being stretcher carriers, that we're going to be saying no to convenience. Is this helpful to you guys so far? The second thing I, I think, I think that, that's been uh, really, really speaking to me out of this passage is that the stretcher carriers actually had faith in Jesus. It sounds really simplistic, but I think the reason why they were so driven to, to, to push through their inconvenience, to walk through the hot sun, to, to do all of the things that they, they, they needed to do. And, and, and to, you, you know, it, it takes a crazy, it's a special kind of crazy to climb up on a roof with a stretcher. And it takes a special kind of crazy to rip the roof off and lower down a stretcher. Clearly, these were men that believed that Jesus could transform this guy's life. The reason why we stop at just halfway or a third of the way or two-thirds of the way and don't go all the way when we carry the stretcher is because we don't fully believe at times that Jesus can transform a life. We've got to be that kind of church that has an un absolutely unshakable belief that whatever it is that we do, whatever event we put on, whatever opportunity we have to share our faith, the Jesus we speak of has the power to change their life as much as He has changed ours. These stretcher carriers had an unshakable belief. Only a, a special kind of crazy faith would have driven these guys to say, Mark, don't put our names in the Gospels. Don't tell people who we are. All we want to do is just prove to the world that this Jesus who was in this crowded house had enough power to change this man's life. They actually had faith in Jesus. You know, I, I often think about um, this, this gentleman that uh, the, the Bible speaks about called a, a Roman centurion in the Bible. And, and, and the, the Roman centurion uh, at the time was a, a Praetorian guard, and he obviously had a hundred soldiers under him. And, and there, there was a, 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 the Gospels tell us of this Roman centurion who, who actually said to, to Jesus, uh, I've got a servant at home, and if you would just... I don't even need to bring him to you. If you would just say the word, if you would just write in front of me, tell me that he's going to be healed, uh, I'll go home and I will actually witness him being healed and whole. Well, over a church like that, I want to do my faith with people that genuinely believe that Jesus has the power to change lives. That the gospel it doesn't need to be wrapped up in some cutesy message. It doesn't need to be wrapped up in some fantastic production. That we just simply carry the sheer unshakable belief that Jesus Christ can change the life of the man down the road. The third thing that I love about, about this, this stretcher carrier, these four of them, is that the stretcher carriers actually, if you think about it, it takes four people to carry a stretcher. One on each corner. They clearly had to work as a team. Sometimes we think the Great Commission is a solo mission. Do you know that the Great Commission was never spoken to an individual? It was spoken to the fathers of the early church. It had the collective in mind. When Jesus sent out, he said, go into all the world. It wasn't a solo mission. Come on, if you want to be Batman and work in the shadows on your own, that's, that's the movie stuff. But my ecclesiology, my understanding of the church and its mission is that it's a collective. That we are all stretcher carriers, that we all do this together. Come on, are you out there? You know, if you think about it just for a moment, if, say, the Great Commission is, as some of us suppose, a solo mission, that you alone are the one that's going to, you know, get your whole street saved. Okay, 
If you, that's what you want to do, you carry the gospel in your heart. I'm ready to go. So you knock on your neighbor's door and you, you share the gospel with them. It's, you know, mom, dad, and, 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 you know, two kids from one marriage and three kids from the other marriage. They're all living together and it's just, that's your neighbor and you share the gospel with them. And, you know, there's, there's two adults in their 50s there and, and a couple of young adults and a couple of teenagers and a child. And, 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 and say they actually come to faith. They, they, they receive the, the, the amazing transformative power of Jesus uh, that, that, that you've brought to your neighbor. What happens after that? Are you going to run your own kids' ministry to minister to one kid? And then, you know, put your cap backwards and run your own youth ministry in your own house and get a couple of teenagers over? That'd just be weird. Run your own women's ministry for one woman and yeah, that's where the church comes in. Hello. So we're fulfilling the Great Commission Together, you've got to understand that we all work together as stretcher carriers. We all are part of taking what Christ has done in us to other people or other people to Him. Think about it for a moment. Four people. One stretcher carrier, two stretcher carriers, three stretcher carriers, four stretcher carriers. One in each corner. You know they have to be perfectly in sync to carry a person on a stretcher. Imagine for a moment, if that stretcher carrier number one started arguing with stretcher carrier number two about who had the better corner. <laughs> Hello? And imagine, right, if stretcher carrier one and two ganged up with, uh, against stretcher carrier three and four because they reckon that they've got the head, which is the heavier part, and we're, we're, you guys need to pull your weight a bit more. You know, we've got the heavier part of the body. And, you know, this, this guy is paralytic. His legs are very thin. His, his, his top half is really fat. So we're, we're the ones that are pulling our weight. So imagine if they, if they started fighting amongst each other. And that's exactly what the church does. See, stretcher carriers don't care which corner that they carry. They're just carrying their corner. They fully know that if I carry my corner and my friend carries his corner and my other friend carries his corner and our fourth friend carries his corner, who cares who takes what corner as long as we get the guy down the roof to encounter Jesus? When you understand that the Great Commission is not a solo mission, then who cares what corner of the stretcher you carry? Because it ain't about the stretcher and it ain't about the part of the stretcher you carry. It's about getting the guy that needs to encounter Jesus actually to Jesus. That is the end goal. Come on, hello. And for so long, the church has been arguing about its corner of the stretcher. It's never been about the stretcher. And for so long, we've got ourselves... I know this is a hard word, Tara. I'm sorry you may never invite me back again. But I hope this ignites something in Cornerstone Church... That, that understands why we exist. Our ecclesiology needs to change. We're, we're, we've become experts at times of hotting up the stretcher. We paint it a nice color and we talk about the stretcher and maybe it needs to have better handles. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and, and you know, we, we, there's lots of workshops on, on how to get the stretcher real good. It's never been about the stretcher. It's been about the guy they needed to encounter Jesus. This helpful to you guys this morning. The fourth thing that I really love about these stretcher carriers, and I've alluded to it, is that they know it's not about them, 
but it was about him that needed to encounter Jesus. I don't know about you, but there have been times I've been guilty of being that kind of stretcher carrier that just felt like I was doing my part. You know what it's like? You know, you serve Jesus, you feel like, all right, I'll take my corner of the stretcher, and all right, here we go. And then you get to the house, and it's crowded, and you go, oh, I did my bit. Clearly, there's not enough room for us, so we'll just leave him here, and we'll just, you know, it's, we just I need to just get all my mates together now, and we'll just go to lunch. Because you just, that's what it's like when, you, when, it's, when serving Jesus is about you. But they understood, we're here, they won't let us in, there's no room for it. But it, 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 it's not about us, it's about this guy. Let's think about what else we need to do. Maybe we need to knock on the door and say, hey, can you, can you part some way for us? Because we, we, we need to get in. And, and, and people would have, would have looked at them and go, no, bro, there's, there's no space. We got here first. We got here early. You guys are late. At that point, I probably would have said, well, I tried. I would have dropped him just at the door and gone to lunch. But no. They thought, let's devise a plan to get up on the roof. I don't know about you, but no one takes a stretcher expecting to lift it up on the roof. They wouldn't have been prepared with ropes and pulley systems and all of that. They would have found a way. Because it wasn't about them, it was about him. And when they got to the roof, they found they had no holes on it. There's no way to lower the stretcher down. What? No one carries a stretcher thinking, firstly, they've got to get it up on the roof, and secondly, they've got to rip the roof off. They wouldn't have been prepared, but they did it anyway because they understood that it wasn't about them. There's going to be times... I feel this prophetic word for this church. There's going to be times when you're going to receive knockback after knockback after knockback when it comes to funding, when it comes to permission, when it comes to licensing, when it comes to, to, to approvals and all of those sorts of things. Don't stop until the roof is lifted off. Don't you dare stop. Don't you dare take no for an answer because people won't, won't give you this because of your size or won't give you this because you're not known, because you don't have a track record. Don't stop because someone has said no. Because Jesus is waiting for your yes. And no roof is going to stop this church from taking people to his feet. Is this helpful to you guys this morning? You know, I, I have a sense that there is a growing passion. There is actually a growing passion for, for uh, uh, what, what I believe is, is raising an army of stretcher carriers. Um, the, the, the mistake that I made, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say for for. for many of the early years of, of pioneering and pastoring a church was that I, I, I became almost too unhealthily obsessed with building a really great stretcher. But as I began to unfold the gospel in my own heart, I began to realize that it's not about being an expert and going to more workshops, it's about building a fantastic stretcher. It's about simply raising up an army of stretcher carriers. For so long... In the early years, I was investing a lot of my time and thought and strategy into building a phenomenal cruise ship. But my church and your church, they're not cruise ships, they're rescue boats. You know, sometimes, as some of you might, again, it's, it's not wrong, it's just not in the Bible, but disappointment sets in when we look for a church to be a part of. We look for all the things that I believe that are often not the things that God speaks to church leaders about when it comes to their church. So disappointment sets in when there is unmet expectations. And for a long time, <clears throat> I grappled with that. Being a young leader, I wanted our church to grow. Being a young leader, I wanted, I wanted our, our, our church to, to you know, 
do all the things that, that well, I, I felt that, that uh, appealed to, to people. But you've you got to understand that, that there, there, is no, there is no eternal fruitfulness in building a cruise ship. You following me so far? You know what I mean? And, and there, there, is, there is no... It, it, the heart of God doesn't beat for cruise ships. Hello, come on. That, that, you can imagine what a cruise... And, and, and you, you can imagine the disappointment of people when, when you have an expectation that, that a church experience is a cruise ship experience. You know the whole thing? You know how like, you, have an, you have an impression of what... You, 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 you sign up for it, you got an impression. It, it should look like this, the full cruise ship experience. You know, middle-aged people, Hawaiian shirts, pina coladas cover Filipino bands in every bar, it's all. But then when you rock up, it, it looks like a rescue boat. Small and, 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 and moves fast and people get wet in it and lots of life jackets and ropes and stuff. What is that? But I think God is restoring the church back to its original mission. To understand why we exist and why we're here on the earth. The, 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 the fifth thing uh, that, that I just... Uh, what I encourage you with, and I've alluded to, is that stretcher carriers are not discouraged by limitations. And we know the limitations of the, of the house being full and all that, but personal limitations. I don't know about you, but these stretcher carriers had nothing other than a stretcher to take this man to Jesus. Sometimes you might be thinking, I don't know, I don't know how I can play my part. I've got issues going on with my kids. I've got stuff going on at work. I don't even know if my contract's going to be renewed. I, I, financially, we're just barely making ends meet. We've got, you know how we have personal limitations? Join the queue. But your personal limitations does not disqualify you from simply grabbing your corner of the stretcher. To say, oh, I, I got stuff going on too, but this guy needs to, needs to meet Jesus. I got stuff going on in my life too that, that, that potentially could, I could disqualify myself and sign myself out of this, but I'm going to pick up my side of the stretcher because whatever Jesus has done for me, and we assume that these guys were men of faith because only crazy men of faith would do this. We can, we can only assume that they've had an encounter with Jesus themselves and the, the, the Christ that is in you is enough for you to push past your personal limitation. To say, oh, that, that, that stuff that I... You, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm challenged by, by this account in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17 tells us uh, of, a, of a man by the name of Elijah. This is the Old Testament. And so uh, this Old Testament prophet, he, he, he's a man of God and God is speaking to him, right? And, and in 1 Kings 17 verse 1, it says, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here, turn eastward, and hide by the brook Kerith, which flows in the Jordan. Verse 4. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Kerith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Most churches build their doctrine on 1 Kings 17, 1 to 5. It's the whole idea of that, that, that it's, it's, it's rough out there. So, you know, come and, and, and we, we, we duck away. And when we, when, 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 we, when we receive from God, He then feeds us and nourishes us. And, 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 and the ravens come and bring us meat. And, and, and you know, there's, there's water flowing. I don't know about you, but that is an awesome picture of faith. That is an awesome picture of faith, and that is not wrong at all. In fact, 
This is where it starts, not where it ends. And so here is this picture of Elijah, and, and he's, he's chilling by the brook Kerith, and, and it's this picture of receiving, it's a picture of consumption, it's a picture of uh, 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 blessing, it's a picture of favor. But I don't know if you know that this account doesn't actually end there. Because as we read the next verse, it says, And it happened after a while that the brook now dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. That's the part we don't like. We like the chilling by the brook Kerith. We don't like the arise and go to Zarephath bit. The brook Kerith, that word Kerith is a Syrophoenician word. It actually means the place of receiving or the place of taking. Zarephath was in Sidon, which was in Syrophoenician territory. It was hostile territory. It's, it's, it's a place where, if you think about it, a Jewish person would have very little influence or authority. And also, think about this for a moment. Famine had also hit Sidon, also the city of Zarephath. And so foreigners are never welcomed in a place where there is already lack and hardship. Come on, when, when, when a people are already going through their own lack and their own hardship, they're going to be antagonistic towards outsiders, foreigners coming in. Make sense? So here is Elijah, and he's chilling by Brook Kerith, the bless me, I'm receiving this, it's awesome, this is amazing, bread, meat gets sent by birds, it's wicked. Awesome. I want pizza delivery every day, that'd be awesome. Water flowing, but eventually the Lord says, arise, and go to Zarephath, where it is uncomfortable, you're not welcome there, and you feel like you don't have a voice there. That's exactly what I often feel like when I'm standing with school parents or you know, uh, uh, hanging out with parents that, that uh, um, are parents of the basketball team that my kids are playing in, and whatever that might be in areas of your influence. I would rather be hanging out in Brook Kerith than going to Zarephath, but I also know that the Lord doesn't just want me hanging out in Kerith. He wants me in Zarephath. Make sense to you? There is, a, there is a call to the church to arise to go to Zarephath because the miracle is not just in Kerith, but it's in Zarephath. He goes there. He encounters a widow. It's in that place where a miracle performs to transform the life of this widow. There's oil and flour that don't run out for her if you read that passage of scripture but then push comes to shove her son dies it is in that place where it now makes sense why God provided for Elijah in Kerith to nourish him prepare him for the biggest miracle of his life so far you see when we come to God's house it's not the end goal is the beginning point this here, this gathering, to hear some random bald Asian guy yell at you, is not, this, is not, this is not the end goal. It is the beginning point for what he's about to do when you get in your car and prepare for your Monday. When you go to your Zarephath, when you feel like you don't have a voice in your workplace or across the water cooler or in, in that family member that, that's just that's, that's so lost and so broken, you don't feel like they're going to hear what you have to say. You've got to understand it, it's, it's in gatherings like these where we receive the grace and the anointing and the power to go to our Zarephaths. And Cornerstone Church is not a 
let's obsess about the Kerith experience, church. I believe that this is going to be a go to Zarephath church. That there is a sense of what Cornerstone actually is and what it was birthed for. That it was, there was something within the DNA of this church. I sensed it as soon as I walked in. I sensed the, 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 the smile or, 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 the, or, or the declaration of God on this house that, that you're actually going to walk into a season and you, you feel like you've already started to touch it. But I think you're going to be walking into a greater measure of the fact that we're a stretcher-carrying, Zarephath-going church. That we're not going to be limited by the, the labels that we might we don't have enough, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough resource, but all the, the, the things that, that are lacking, you're not going to be constrained by that because the, the, the faith that is on the inside of you for others is going to be strong enough and adequate enough and more than enough for what you need. You, you know, I, I, in, in April 15, nineteen um, twelve, for some of you, you may, not, may, or may or may not be familiar with that date, but a ginormous ship called the Titanic sank that night. Uh, it was a tragic night, and, and um, I, I'm not sure uh, how many of you are familiar with history, but 1,523 people perished in those waters that night. They died because the unsinkable ship sunk. Some of you know the story. Um, and and uh, the, the, the Titanic was, was quite, a, a remarkable, um, quite a remarkable ship by... By many regards, the Titanic could carry 32 lifeboats, but they decided that because it was supposedly the unsinkable ship, it wasn't necessary to carry so many life rafts. It would have just taken up space. I mean, why waste your time when you when you you're never going to sink? Why would you why would you even carry lifeboats? Right? That that would be contrary to the marketing message for the Titanic builders. So they decided that they just carry 20, just as a minimum sort of in their day, Oak Health and Safety Regulation. Let's just carry a minimum 20 boats. Uh, well, the un unthinkable happened, and they did sink. And uh, that night, many, many people perished. Now, people that had access to the 20 lifeboats were predominantly the first-class passengers, while the second, third, and, and the, and the, and the working-class people that lived in the, the bottom part of the boat uh, didn't have access to those lifeboats, and, and most of them perished. This was the thing that history has recorded for the first class, most of the first class passengers that were on those boats was that those boats, maximum capacity was somewhere between 40 to 45, depending on how many children, or, you know, but 40 to 45 people each lifeboat could have carried. Most of the lifeboats that rode away from drowning people were found to have had 15 to 20 people, except one boat, boat number 14. Boat number 14 was commandeered by 5th Officer Harold Lowe, who just could not row away from the screaming, drowning people. So what he did was he went from floating debris to floating debris to rescue as many people as possible, and overloaded his boat, and he rowed and commandeered and made sure that the people that were on the, that lifeboat rowed as, as hard as possible to the other half-empty boats and offloaded people, and he rode back again to more debris to rescue more people. Doesn't look like a cruise ship, does it? That's what our churches should be like. It's a haunting picture, and I've looked at that, and I, and I stared, at, stared at it on my screen for a good minute and a half a couple of years ago as I began to ponder whether I could have been like 5th Officer Harold Lowe or would I have been contented with just being on that lifeboat myself and rowing to safety with plenty of space 
But my prayer for us is that Cornerstone Church is going to be a stretcher-carrying boat number 14 church. And that's the kind of church that you are a part of today. I've come all this way to simply say to you that Jesus died for you, for your sake, but he's alive in you for others' sake. That our Christian faith, may it be something that we carry in our hearts to the day that we die and be accountable one day for our time here on earth, having been found to fulfill our mission. For the longest time, I confused my blessing with my purpose. They're not the same thing. What God has blessed you with is not what you're called to. Did you catch that? Let that sink in for a moment. For, for too long, I think the church has confused the two. We've confused our blessings with the end goal, that the whole goal of Christianity is to get more blessed. We made that our purpose. It's not. Our blessings are not our purpose. Come on, hello. Our favor is not what we're called to. The ultimate calling of Elijah was not to Brook Kareth, but to Zarephath. Makes sense to you? The ultimate destiny of the disciples was not to walk with Jesus. They just did that for three years. But their ultimate call was to go into the ends of the earth. Would you stand to your feet right across this room? Thank you, Jesus. Musicians, you can join me this morning. And if I may just um, shift gears for a moment and ask you to consider the state of your heart. I love that you're here to hear this today, and I hope that God has spoken to you. But if you're here today and you're unsure about what all this is even about, you need to know that God loves you so much that He sent Himself in the form of Jesus because you couldn't go to Him, He came to you found you just as you are and is now offering you an invitation, giving you an invitation to open your heart up to Him, to believe that He died for you, to take your past and your sin and the things that you struggle with away from you and to give you a relationship with Him. What does that look like? Well, it just means that you have Him every day with you. Maybe it's been a long time since you've experience the reality of God in your life. But today, right across this room with no one looking around except myself, I want to invite you to say yes to Him. There's nothing spooky or weird that you need to do. You just need to say yes to Him by simply indicating to me by lifting your hand so I can say a prayer with you. Very simple prayer. Is that you? I see that one hand over there. Anyone else? You want to say yes to Jesus? Is that you? Anybody else? You want to say yes to Jesus? Maybe you want to come back to Him. He loves you so much. Anybody else? Is that you today? Just one hand. Great. This is what we're going to do today. Come on, we're going to say this prayer after me. We're family, yeah? So come on, let's just pray this. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're real. And this morning, we invite you into our heart as our personal Lord and Savior, we thank you, Jesus, that from this moment, our sins are forgiven, our past is forgotten, and we have a new life in you. 
And this day, we say that you are Lord of our lives in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Yeah, you can thank him for that. Wonderful. Wonderful. Just keep your eyes closed for a moment. If you said that prayer for the first time or maybe for the first time after a long time, don't rush off after the service. I want you to have a chat with Pastor Duncan, Pastor Tara, different leaders here, and they'll help you to journey through that decision that you've prayed. But if you're here today, my appeal to you is really very simple. If you feel in your heart that God is simply saying to you, yes, it's time to be that stretcher-carrying boat number 14 kind of person, begin to lift your hands right where you're standing. Some of you here are struggling with the idea that you're qualified, that you, you, you need to be more educated in the gospel. You need to, to, to know a bit more. You need to have more confidence. You know, all you need is a willing heart. There's not much finesse in ripping a roof off. You just need, you need to roll your sleeves up and get into it. If that's you this morning, just be going to lift your hands right across this room saying yes to being that stretcher carrier into your world, whatever, whatever that is. Wherever that is, how that, however that looks. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you this morning for every hand that's lifted. Every person that calls Cornerstone Church home. I thank you, Father God, that from this day onwards, we understand our mission. We understand what we're about and why we're still here on this earth. We thank you for this moment and what this means for the world around us, our world, our sphere of influence. We thank you for the person on our left and on our right that represents the other stretcher carriers that we work together. Thank you for the beauty and the power of a local church. I thank you, Lord God, that this house will be filled not with cruise ship people. But may this be a rescue boat that's so full, bursting at the seams, that we keep rowing back for more. We keep rowing back for more. That we keep rowing back for more. In Jesus' name.